Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Episode 103 is on the scene, with Graham McMillan and Jeff Lester battling the twin demons of technical difficulties and abject poverty to bring you comic book news, reviews, and talk of cashews. Books under discussion this time around include the first issue of The Uncanny Avengers, The Justice League of America Annual No. 2 from 1984, Superior Spider-Man, the first two issues of Suicide Squad by John Ostrander and Luke McDonnell, the briefest mention of Marvel Comics, The Untold Story by Sean Howe, Empire State by Jason Shiga, 120 Days of Simon by Simon Gartenfors, Ikoro no Go by Yumiota and Takeshi Obata, Comixology Submit, Threat or Menace, and the Whip series Mythomania. As is now standard operating procedure these days, you can find more complete show notes over at SavageCritic.com. And as always, we hope you enjoy. And thank you for listening. Professionals! (laughs) (laughs) To the bitter end, my friend. (laughs) Listeners, what? The reason I said that and the reason that Jeff's laughing is... uh, Jeff had Skype problems, and so emailed me to be like, oh, I'm going to be a couple of minutes late. Skype's locked off on me. And I replied that I was still eating lunch, because I was, right up until like a minute ago. I was still eating. Um, and all the time I was like, Jeff's going to call, and I'm chewing, oh God. So I, I, for once, was actually glad of your technical troubles, because, hey, professionals. <laughs> exactly. Woohoo. In it to win it. Uh, yes, well, what do you have for lunch? Uh, I I had a very quick holy shit it's 2.30 and I've not eaten anything and Jeff's about to uh, Skype lunch uh, of, of a bagel just a bagel Jeff really? yes oh, oh crime 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 well I'd had I'd had some fruit and stuff earlier I'd had a I, I'd sort of what I described to myself as a mid-morning snack that I might have had about 12 o'clock <laughs> which could have been lunch now that I think about it but you know what I'm saying I do. I do. It's really interesting, sort of the, the curse of working from home and and how that sort of plays out. Um, you know, especially if you're far from the kitchen. I'm like right next to the kitchen and on days when I work from home, like if I'm not careful, there is no need for me to eat dinner because I have like, you know, like stress ate my weight in snacks by the time dinner comes along. So Whereas I am, you know... On a, on a mm-hmm. or together, and the entire reason I was having a bagel was there was nothing else that I could have that was fast. It was one of those Je- Jeff's gonna call. I should have to have mm-hmm. something. And then as I'm like making the bagel, I was like, oh crap, I've, I've got <laughs> chips. I've like there is all this stuff I could have had. Damn it! <laughs> Damn it! Damn well, it. so Edie came back from her little health spa vacation and is in the process of doing this uh, detox diet thing, and I'm like, okay. I'll jump in on that. How bad can it be? Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. You know as well as I do that when you're doing a detox diet type thing, it's something you actually have to psych yourself up for. Because if you're just like, sure, you're doing it. I'll do it too, baby. Because I've done that with Kate as well. Mm -hmm. That's always the one that kills you. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't didn't really realize that, that I just sort of figured like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll be, you know. I'll be eating healthy. I can eat healthy. I didn't realize that it was like, and and I was like, okay, no sugar, no flour. I'm like, it doesn't really matter that while she was gone, I was basically eating like a pint of ice cream every other day. Right. You know, healthy, uh, no dairy, no eggs, uh, no peanuts. Um, this, this doesn't really like the, Mm -hmm. the cane I do. 
Yeah, that's kind of what I figured. In fact, I tumbled to that earlier today because I was like, well, can, can we make freezer fudge? And and Edie was like, well, we can't have chocolate. I'm like, but can't we have cocoa? Yeah, yeah, that, that, was, that was the workaround for us. Yeah, so Edie's not too sure about it, though. She's not convinced. So, dude, seriously, I mean, she made it like this awesome, really, I'm not even being sarcastic, like a really, really good... Uh, lentil loaf this like this faux meatloaf um that's really tasty but i mean like there's that and then my morning when i'm not having these like smoothies that are flavored with like death um is like this terrifying like like brown rice bread that we like toast up and put almond butter and agave syrup oh my god i swear to god you're having our clients you're you're totally doing our clients uh especially with the smoothies flavored like death i've told you and I will do this quickly because I know that people hate it when we talk about the cleanse. Uh, I've told you about the, the worst smoothie we ever had, which was the, the first day of our first cleanse. The kid was like, oh. I've been reading up on how to make good smoothies and made just like, undoubtedly, the worst smoothie that's ever been made in, in the world. Her flaw was this. She mm-hmm. was like, and I should add a green. I'll add kale. Oh, oh God. And oh, here's God. the thing, listeners. You can add spinach to a smoothie and it will be great. It'll add every, it's it'll good. Add everything yeah. you, you want to it, but it won't add to the flavor. Or mm-hmm. you could add kale, which will turn everything into the taste of dirt. <laughs> what else do you have there? You're literally, you feel like, and it because it's a smoothie as well, it's the consistency of mud. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. I'm drinking mud. What are you having for breakfast this morning? I'm having a big glass full of mud, thanks. <laughs> of liquid dirt, thank you. Yeah, the the smoothies that we're making were not quite in that vein. Uh, it, they would be fine if it wasn't for the the rice protein powder that we're putting in, which just the first couple of sips. It's it's great. Like the first, you get all that fresh fruit, and it's like, oh yeah, we got some cherries and some pineapple and mango. This is good. And then you know you swallow, and it's like, oh yeah, and lots of death. We went heavy on the death there for you. So enjoy it. It's gritty and um, awful. So so listeners, not only is this like you know to your detriment here in the short term, as Graham and I talk about it, but as we go on to talk about comics. Think of the long-term detriment to you, the listener, as I start to bumble off on sentences and make even less sense. I'm totally looking forward to that. (laughs) Well, hooray. We're ready to go then, Graham. Huzzah. Um, And you even provided a great segue into something I wanted to ask you about. Oh, great. Because you you talked about how your uh, smoothie is gritty. Superior Mm Spider-Man, Jeff. Oh, Jesus. I know. I think I liked it better with my theory that he got his real arms ripped off and he had to figure out how to get around with just Dr. Octopus arms and legs. So what do you think? What do you think's going on there? Do you know? Do you? I mean, apart from like there's a press release and it's like. Dan Slott said today, today being Thursday, um, that it's not Peter Parker. See, that's what I figured was it was some sort of bait and switch that it's a Doc Ock mind switch. Well, I think it's Alpha. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know why I think it's Alpha other than why would they introduce Alpha? <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I have this strange feeling that it's going to be Alpha and they'll be like, look, not only does he have an origin like Spidey, he becomes the new Spider-Man who's a dick. <laughs> well, that seems to be the selling point of Superior Spider-Man. Like, right. what if Spider-Man 
wasn't Spider-Man anymore. What if he had kind of the same outfit, but retractable claws, which, honest to God, when I read that, I was just like, really? Oh, oh did you know? Really? Yes. No, I missed yes. the retractable claws part. Retractable claws. I could be wrong. I think they might be in his feet. I'm, I'm not <laughs> actually joking. Well, you know, didn't JMS did something weird like that, didn't he? You know, once he broke out the whole, oh, no, he's a spider. Like, look, he's got a, he's got a, he's got a spider thing. Like, he's got a stinger or something. Did, oh, with the, um, was that the other? Yeah, wasn't it during the course of the other? Yeah, he sort of has that little weird, gross thing shoot out of his body and impale the other dude. And he's got like a poison. He had, he had like a poison thing in him. Yeah, he? yeah. So the the difference seeming to be that JMS thought it was awesome and Dan Slott. I don't know. You know, God bless him. Did you see those photos of Dan Slott with uh, Doctor Who? Uh, the Sorry, the cast of Doctor Who, I should I did say. not, no. Yeah, somebody had pictures of it. It was, it was and once again, it was Jeff's <laughs> TM, Jeff's only source of internet news, Bleeding Cool, I think, had some links to uh photos that Dan Slot had taken. And I have to say, it you know, Dan Slot, okay, you know, we've all have gifts that we have, Lord knows, you know, in our lives and and weaknesses that are others. Dan Slot Look, you know, did this thing where he squinted up his eyes when he was taking, um, you know, he was trying to do like the the little spidey web slinging uh-huh. pose, you know, and he scrunched his eyes up. And I swear to God, he looked eyeless. He <laughs> looked like somebody who had had the eyes scooped out of his head and just had like the little flaps that were his uh, his eyelids. It was it. I it was, it was terrifying. It was I almost screamed at my computer, Graham, I, and not in a, you know, go Rangers kind of way, but like a, a like fear, like fear. It really creeped me out. BC, so. here's the thing about Dan Slott. I love that he's such a fan. Like, I, I we were, when you're like, he's taking photographs of Doctor Who cast, and I was like, that's awesome. I, I, I genuinely and that was love, yeah. like, that, mm-hmm. that I, and he's, he's, that's kind of what's bothering me about Superior Spider-Man. Because he's obviously mm-hmm. such a Spider-Man fan as well. And in, oh, yeah. I think it was the USA Today interview about it. He's like, normally I'm the guy who, you know, keeps everything safe for Peter. And this time I'm a vengeful god. And it's kind of like, but if, like, you must know on some level that Spider-Man doesn't need a vengeful god. Yeah, I think he does. I mean, I think he's, I, I don't know. May, I, I mean, don't you, doesn't it just seem like kind of a wrestling Maneuver, yeah, yeah, like, like a, a human like move. It's, it's you a know? fake out, you mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I think mm-hmm. it totally is. By the time they're like, ah, and it's not really Spider Man. I mean, it, it strikes me right. very similarly uh, to the Fantastic Four killing off Johnny, relaunching his FF thing. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I could totally see a year from now them being like, an amazing Spider Man is back because you demanded it. But there's also right. this new comic called Superior Spider. You know, mm-hmm. I, I could totally see them doing that. And it just happens mm-hmm. to coincide with Marvel now. And so it kind of gets a weird legitimacy because they're launching everything mm-hmm. else as well. Right, right. Uh, yeah, no, I think that I think I think that's actually a great way to look at it. So, but, yeah, I mean, it's I just think, so depressing. It's so cynical. The mm-hmm. he's not friendly neighborhood anymore. I mean, it really is like, hey, remember when Batman was replaced by the guy who wore too much armor? It's that comic again, kids. Right. As as far as we know. 
you know. But yeah, probably it, chance. I mean, chances are excellent that that's what it is, you know. And uh, I don't know, you know. Sometimes you're just like, I, 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 I yeah. I don't know. I, I, I alternate between like, oh, who cares? You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I think that's pretty much it. It's like, oh, and then 20 minutes later, who cares? Yeah. I don't, I don't think that there really was yet. No, 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 no. I, I, I mean, you know, like, I, I guess what I'm saying is, is there's a way in which, hmm, you know, the idea that you are, uh, you know, that you're like a super fan and then it's going to be, you know, that you're going to be like, oh, I'm going to do all these awful, terrible things. And then it's just a fake out. And it's like, no, no, no. We're going to show that Spider-Man is like really the most awesome guy ever. When I think, as you pointed out, like the conclusion of that other storyline where it was like possible torturing of terrorist things that he was like going to go along with or something, you know, it's kind of um, was in a way far creepier because that was everyone's definition of like, you know, oh, this is this is who Spider-Man is, you know, like this, you know, the idea of like, well, we have to make him modern and legit. But, you know, he's still basically the same Spider-Man. And, you know, all these other goofs of like, oh, we're going to make him terribly savage with claws, you know, wink, wink you know, is, is really misses the point that, that frankly, there are ways in which they have taken the character and kind of bumbled him up. And there's also kind of something kind of creepy, I think for me, that's kind of sad about the whole, like, like, Hey, I'm Dan Slott. I'm a huge Spider-Man fan. And, and I've got to swing for the fences every time. You know what I mean? Because that's the, I really, you know, part of me is kind of like, you know, I guess it makes sense because back when he was writing, I don't know, Spider-Man Human Torch miniseries where it was like those dudes in the Spider-Mobile and Fruit Pies were involved, you know, like there was only, I don't know, 27, like 17,000 of us who thought it was great and nobody else bought the comic. And now, of course, because it's 2012, you know, 34,000 people are buying, you know, what he's writing now and saying that it's awesome. So that was kind of a joke about the shrinking comic book numbers. See, here's the thing. Did you see the comics beat story? It just went up. No, it just what, went up about um, the September sales. No. What oh, was well, it? someone they, they basically looked at where all the publishers are, and they've mm-hmm. realized that only one Marvel comic is breaking sixty thousand copies. Like one. <laughs> uh, eight are between fifty and sixty thousand. Four are between forty and fifty. Twenty-three mm-hmm. are between thirty and forty. And 24 between 20 and 29. So, I mean... See, I thought my joke was actually... Okay, good. I'm glad uh, that my joke was at least still topical. No, but that's what I mean. Like, joke joke was too spot on to be be funny. (laughs) 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 The joke was just... I mean, that's that's really... uh, It's one of those things. That's really horrible numbers, but also Marvel Now is happening, so they'll be fine. Right. I mean, un- uh, until until that stuff burns off. But I mean, th- those numbers are bad. What was the book? Was it Uncanny that's doing over? Oh, it's, it's Avengers vs. X Men. Oh, there was no, reg- there's okay, no regular sure title. Uh, Uncanny is the next, and it's fifty nine. Oh shit! So you're saying that Avengers vs. X Men was the only book that was selling, and all the rest of them, even with their AVX tie in titles, were not that's, selling above. That's what I'm saying. Ooh, yeah. I mean, that's 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 bad. 
Like they've, that's a really hard thing to, I don't know. I, you know, you know, this, the sad part is I know that I like (laughs) specifically said in an email that you could not like show off the fact that you're reading Sean Howe's uh, (laughs) Marvel comics, the untold story. But if you have any related anecdotes, uh, I'm not really at that point yet. The part, it's a great book. I have to say, I think everyone who has already read it because last week we were like, holy shit, people, you should read this book. Um, yes. Oh, the book in case, because we haven't actually said it, Sean Howe's uh, Marvel Comics, The Untold Story, which is the mm-hmm. kind of an oral history, kind of not an oral history uh, uh, of Marvel Comics from way back. I mean, it starts with Martin Goodman basically as mm-hmm. a kid uh, yeah, I'm, and, I, and I, goes all the way up to Marvel Studios. Um, I'm only at the 70s. I, I've, I've basically only made it to the where I am. Kirby has just come back. Oh man! Um, but it's a really it's a really weird book. It's really good. I'm really enjoying it. But I did not expect to feel as sympathetic for Stan Lee as I do. Interesting. Yeah, Stan Lee know- comes across as a dick a lot, mm-hmm. but you almost understand his dickishness. Mhm mhm. I can I can I can see that. I can believe it. What was it? Was it in the comics journal that they ran the other the 1990s one the, the one about image? Uh yeah, no, that's not it. What was the one where it's like Stanley meeting maybe it was on on Sean's Tumblr page or something where Stanley like shows up for a meeting oh, yeah, in like as, the 70s? Yeah, that's actually that is not from the book. He mentions that in the book and he quotes that speech in the book, but the actual mm-hmm. speech that he presents in his Tumblr is only on the Tumblr. Holy shit. Uh, so that, that I'm is... looking that up right now because that was spectacular. Scrolling past lots of awesome art. If people you're not visiting Sean Howe's Tumblr, it's seanhowe.tumblr.com. Yeah, it's and awesome. holy shit, that's very interesting. I've just scrolled past and seen that uh, Sean Howe is actually talking to Matt Fraction about Marvel Comics: The Untold Story at the Pearls around the corner from my house on Monday. Oh my god, Graham, you've got it! Yeah, I know. Oh god, I'm gonna have to get over my fear of Matt Fraction. Um, I know, I know. Maybe you can wear a disguise of some sort. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Anyway, uh, okay. So the speech is uh, Stanley gave a was part of a round table uh, at the, oh God, what is it? It's like the National Association of Cartoonists or something. Something it's like that, yeah. Will Eisner and Gil Kane and, and other creators um, in 1971. And this is kind of, it's, it shows a sign of Lee that the book really shows that I don't think really gets mentioned a lot. I think for a lot of people, Stan Lee is jovial, jolly Stan Lee, or he's yes. like Satan. I think mm-hmm. he's either like completely lauded or completely demonized and there's never really a or maybe he's just this kind of, you know, guy who's stuck in, in the middle of this and keeps doing what he thinks is the right thing only to continually be wrong. Uh well at least that's my reading of it. The book never actually mm-hmm. goes explicitly to only to immediately being wrong. But um anyway, at this presentation in nineteen seventy one, he says I would say that the comic book market is the worst market that there is on the face of the earth for creative talent. 
They're numberless and legion. I've had many talented people ask me how to get into the comic book business. If they were talented enough, the first answer I would give them is, why would you want to get into the comic book business? Because even if you succeed, even if you reach what might be considered the pinnacle of success in comics, you will be less successful, less secure, and less effective than if you were just an average practitioner of your art in television, radio, movies, or what have you. It is a business in which the creator, as was mentioned before, owns nothing of his creation. The publisher owns it. Uh Which, wow, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, he says, um, I would tell any cartoonist who has an idea, think twice before you give it to a publisher. That's Mm -hmm. Stanley in 1971. 71. Like 41 years ago. And and by by contrast, wasn't it just the other day that it was announced that like Stanley Media was trying to like sue Disney for the rights to all the Stanley created characters because supposedly Stan had signed the signed the characters over to Stanley Media and apparently had also done so to Disney as or Marvel at the time as That's well. The weirdest thing. So. This is this is my take on that lawsuit. Stan mm-hmm. pub- signed over the rights for the characters he created that weren't Marvel characters. Because he mm-hmm. in 1998 mm-hmm. that he didn't own the Marvel characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, either he's conning Stanley Media, Stanley Media are dumb, or they're just chanting their arm now with this lawsuit. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, it, honestly, I think it's some combination of the because three. Because the other thing um, is, I fairly sure and i could be wrong but i'm fairly sure what he signed for marvel the month later was basically mm-hmm. i will never sue you for these rights as opposed to i'm yeah. surrendering my rights to you yeah yeah it's just i'll never sue them in exchange for guaranteed income and blah 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 it, for the rest that of was life. a weirdly smart move he did it's a you know, advantage of all the movies mm-hmm, which is mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. of good yeah no i mean you know he's <laughs> You know, I, I I don't know. I look forward to reading reading Sean Howe's book, certainly. But yeah, it's my perception of Stanley is that is a guy who, after a certain point, knew the score and did not and made a lot of weirdly smart moves. You know, I th- going forward past a certain point. What the part that really got my sympathies going was the pre Marvel stuff that it talks about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, him having to fire all these people being left running this comic company essentially solo used inventory material and being feeling abandoned like feeling looked down upon by everyone else within the publishing company there's a lot Mm -hmm. of that that you really do i don't know you do find yourself feeling more sympathetic towards him so even when he starts getting ideas above his station she'll Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the 70s you're kind of like i could totally see why I could totally see that he's like, oh shit! I've got to make it while the going is good. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like this is not going to last forever. And they even mm-hmm. quote an interview with him in the, yes, it must have been late sixties, because uh, he talks about Kirby, where he's basically like, I want to go into movies and I want to take all my artists with me to do storyboards and designs. Because mm-hmm. he's basically, you know, there's no future in the comics industry. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Get out as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's what what year was that? I, that I've got to say that was 
It was before Kirby left, so it's got to be like 69. 69 or something, which makes a lot of sense because, you know, at that point, everything in comics had kind of gone through like a boom and bust cycle, you know, that barely lasted more than a decade. I'm sure he was thinking that like, you know, in another few years it was going to be up and then, you know, they were going to be back to doing like, I don't know, cowboy comics again or more cowboy comics or Just something. It's about you know? the monster comics in the early 70s and how basically they started because – superhero comic sales were dropping and because the comic code finally said yes you can do zombies and they're like fine we'll flood the fucking market with monster books because maybe they mm-hmm. and man there was some weird shit that came out as a result of that huh? <laughs> oh yes I, that's the thing though that's that's my favorite period of marvel now although i have this nostalgic towards the 80s do you know what i mean like Mm-hmm. Era, as much as everyone all the creators it's it, it's still some of my favorite comics ever because i was like 10 you know what I mean? True. You're like, Walt Simonson's star and I'm 10 years old. Yes. Right. <laughs> right. Which is awesome. You know, and you get those periods of that. But yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like, you know, for for me who started following Marvel's like, yeah, in like 72 or 73, it was all the weird shit and was kind of nice having all the classic shit to then discover later as I got older, you know? And then of course there is stuff that like, I don't know, you know, I mean, Frank Miller is very clear, you know, is very clearly a a product of the eighties, you know, and, and in some ways very clearly a product of Jim Shooter's Marvel, I think too, in some ways. So, um, you know, but the, but boy, the seventies, that it's just such a, it's such a weird fertile, um, time for Marvel comics, you know, and it, they literally didn't, they literally didn't even know that they were breaking rules, you know, until they had broken some of them. So I, I, I'm, I'm very interested for you to read the book then. Cause I think there's yeah. definitely a, a sense of the company might not have, not have known it was breaking rules, but I think the creators did. Yeah, Probably. Probably. I think that's, I think that's, well, uh, we'll see. Yeah, I, I'm sure you're right. Cause of course you're in the book, but I'm like, yeah, but definitely the way some of the people cast some of their stories are like, I thought it was okay to kill Gwen Stacy. Everyone said it was okay. Why couldn't I have killed Gwen Stacy? So. Um, Another person in the book will make you feel surprisingly sorry for it is Jerry Conway. <laughs> really? That is shocking. I would never think that I would feel sorry for that guy. So say no more. That's yeah, the- he basically gets shot upon for killing Gwen Stacy thing. But you then later get the, he gets shot upon because he was promised the editor-in-chief job, and then they just completely ignored him. Oh, really? Uh, well, then he had it, and then he shit on more people. I don't know. It just, it's the chain of shitting, you know, I'm sure at a certain point. I, I'll be fascinated. I was fascinated to realize that, that the book goes into the 90s, and you get to see God, all all of that stuff, you know, I mean, I really do. Part of me is kind of like, <laughs> it's hard not to, for me, having not read the book, I'm like, God, it's like a comic book version of Boogie Nights, you know, where it's like everything starts off all sort of ebullient and sort of hopeful. And then, then it just gets dire, but you know, maybe not, maybe it's, maybe it stays alternately hopeful and dire all the way through. Said, I can't even remember who there was a conversation on Twitter about, I'm really nervous about this book. Oh, wait, was it even you? It, it was Who says that you didn't want a triumphalist ending and someone was like, no, 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 it's not triumphalist. <laughs> it's- oh, like- yeah. That 
not me. That was actually Abe, I think, was saying it in one of our comments. I think in the comments for, for our podcast. I, I, I think. remember reading yesterday and being like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I thought that was actually a brilliant point. And there was, uh, yeah, the, the co-response to that. So that's it. It really is one of those things, like, every once in a while, I find myself being like, God damn it, why didn't I just, like, rob a bank so that I could have bought the goddamn, you know, copy of, because it's already, you know, it's like my mind is already recalibrating the experience that I, I'm expecting. And I just wish I could walk into it having been fed on nothing but the Twitter, on the Tumblr well, feed, yeah. you know, in those two exactly. experts. So I was, uh, I added it to my library list way back when I first found out about it. But obviously, um, and in the end, I just bought the Kindle version. See, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do that. So, you don't know how often uh, I went to the goddamn page and I was just like, oh, do it, do it. I was like, <laughs> I know I will, even if it gets out of the library, I'll just continually get out of the library. I know this is something that I will actually end up using, not just in, I will mm-hmm. go back to and I will end up using in work. Uh, and the yeah. Kindle version is like $13. I know, I know. And you know, it's funny, I had I had socked aside a bunch of money for it, and by a bunch, I mean like 17 or $18 in like uh, uh, like Amazon gift certificate stuff uh, socked away. And then... Um, they had that weekend sale on Philip K. Dick books on uh, for the Kindle at, for like a buck ninety nine, and I was like, "Well, so much for that, you know." <laughs> so you know, in theory, I could have talked about like seven different Philip K. Dick books instead of Marvel Comics and Told Story. Hooray! You. By the next time we talk, though, I expect that. Uh, so a- as a result, listeners, Graham knows this, of course, but uh, but but you may not. I did. Because I was pretty brokey McBrokeass, I made very few slight purchases on uh, Comixology in the Savage Critics store uh, and then took a bunch of books out of the library. I, I want to know where you've got at the library. Things I'm always talking about what I got at the library. Well, I, w- I will let you know. Uh, I got uh, – and, and I will talk about them in the order that I read them too. Uh, I, I took out Empire State um, by Jason Shiga. Uh, who, you know, uh, is the creator of Meanwhile, which everyone, of course, dearly loves and I have still yet to get into. But, of course, Book Hunter is a pretty amazing piece of work. Um, Empire State got a lot, of, a certain amount of uh, dissing when it came out, I think, in, in the sense of people were like, yeah, it's pretty much uh, by the numbers, coming of age, auto bio book sort of thing. Um and so with diminished expectations, I kind of picked it up and I enjoyed it. I actually, surprised. Uh, you know, surprised. yeah, I am surprised. I think because, like I said, those reviews where I was like, we don't really need another one of those. And, um, you know, Jason's work is like his actual art, art drawing style, which is lots of little, you know, bubbles within bubbles and blocks surrounded by blocks like he it. It's it it probably has its charms for other people. I, I I am always I always appreciate what he does with it in the sense of particularly going back to Book Hunter. I think he does some um, you know it's amazing to me how much of the 
kind of classic, big, dumb Hollywood action movie, he's able to both satirize and and kind of, in its weird way, recreate drawing, you know, a bunch of stuff that looks, you know, like circles and squares and the occasional pizza slice. Um, and Empire State kind of has that sort of similar dynamic in the sense of, well, I'm not really reading this. I'm not going to be reading this for his chops, I guess. But he's unbelievably sharp with dialogue. And so Empire State ends up being, uh, particularly for a library read, kind of a, you know, a really strong library book to check out in that uh, the the dialogue's funny. The, the setup, which is about, you know, a, a guy... A, pretty young guy in Oakland, I guess he's in his mid-twenties, who's a female best friend who he's, you know, in love with to to some secret extent, I think. Um, she ends up going to New York to get into publishing and, you know, uh, before she leaves, invites him to come out and have a go at, like, designing web pages and getting a job in, in design out there. He ends up uh, kind of doing a, a desperate Hail Mary attempt to go out and see her with the hopes of wooing her. And um, it it just ends up being like really funny and charming. And it's it's a little bit it's very it's very indie movie in the sense of half of it is playing with the idea of taking these grand romantic ideals and turning them on their head you know, and or potentially crapping on them, you know, in the way that real life tends to do. But it doesn't go too far in either direction. I feel like it didn't, the the reviews that I read had led me to think that it was going to end up ending a little more cutesier than it did. And I sort of felt like it was not fantastic, but it was at least pretty it was a pretty strong read. Now, interestingly enough, I will tell you what is fantastic that uh, is Jason Shiga in the web series Mythomania, which I finally got around to watching like, I don't know, like eight or nine months at least after it debuted. Are you familiar with I, it? I am not. It is, it is a web series written and directed by Derek Kirk Kim, huh. uh, who... And he makes it about a group of basically struggling indie cartoonists living in Los Angeles who, um, you know, it, it follows the plight of this, the, you know, the one main dude who is basically recovering from a bad breakup and sort of starts to get interested in this other female indie cartoonist. It is like it's it's just it's re you can see all nine parts on YouTube each one, I think, runs between like five to eight minutes at a go. Um, and it's, you know, it's 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 a little sort of broadly comic. One of the things that's kind of great about it is it really looks strong. Like it really is pretty professionally shot and framed. And the actors are good, although some of the acting is weak. But in in one of the, I think absolute best sequences in in the series the cartoonists end up going to a signing by jason shiga the female cartoonist has the hots for him based on his book based on his books and the the uh 
the male cartoonist has met him at a couple of uh, conventions. And Jason Shiga is fantastic. He's going to end up in a Judd Apatow movie. I don't know how to describe it any other way because he is just the world's like he's he's got this weird high whiny voice and these big heavy glasses <laughs> and you can barely see today any of his face Seth Rogen you know portraying Jason Segel it, it's it is it is amazing it's an amazing performance because it it is so much it's just brilliant in terms of the the comic timing that he gives his various line readings. Mm-hmm. He just they just manage to I mean they really nail like the uncomfortable encounter with the with the experienced cartoonist routine um just gets to be hilariously funny. And of course the idea is that you know the rumors are that he's a bit of a lech, but you know you just see you you can barely you know he just has the it's almost like looking at somebody wearing a mask. Uh, and yet everything that he does in terms of his line delivery and his strange screechy voice that does or doesn't alter at the right times, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. Like Mythomania, I was kind of like, okay, I'm down for checking this out for, you know, it's a it's a web series about, you know, indie cartoonists. Uh, kind of cute, had some really fun things. It's got a ton of potential, but man, yeah, Jason Shiga, like if I was like some weird you know, Hollywood talent agent, like on the make, I would be trying to figure out how to, how to turn that guy into something that I could market and exploit. He's exploitable. So exploitable. I, I'm looking so, forward to someone um, hearing this and being like, I've got to look into the Shiga kit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Getting on the receptions. Give me Jason Shiga's agent. Um, so really good. Mythomania uh, got kickstarted for a season two. Um, I'm not quite sure when that starts, although I think the, it was two or three months ago that they made their Kickstarter goal. So I imagine that is probably underway. So check it out on YouTube, Jason Chiga, and it is fantastic. I um, the, Empire State. I, was a, I have yeah. a question. Yes. Are you doing something weird with your internet? Not that I know of. Why am I coming out? Yes, appallingly. Really? Yes. Like fading in and fading out? Not even out, fading in or... and out. You are going into full, I actually can't understand what you're saying because it's getting so fragmented. Ooh, shit. All right. Um, well, Skype was being really motherfucking weird, as we both know. Do you want me to hang up and try calling you? Yes, back? because I lost maybe half of what you were just saying. Son of a bitch. Okay. Uh, let me talk to you. Okay. Curses! Damn it! Curse you, internet. Urgh! Professionals! <laughs> Talk to you in a second. And so we return and begin again. <laughs> Man, this blows. Uh, do I sound any better? You sound much better. I can actually understand what you're saying now. Okay. Well, every, I... every, everything prior to that sounded very, very strange. Like it was, um, like the, I don't know. You were also secretly like on YouTube or something. And and because it yeah it, the quality just nose dived at one point. Well, it may be the other thing that's really weird is, and I'm not sure if it's like the USB things, but let me know if it comes up again. This mic, uh, at least when I'm editing, because um, my headphones go into the microphone and blah blah blah, basically will come become disconnected from the program like once or twice per editing session, which is not something that really fills me with joy. You know, I'm like, huh, what's the more inferior product, my lowly netbook or this high end uh, microphone? I can hardly wait to figure out which. 
<laughs> so anyway, as I was saying, okay, so being, I, um, yeah, it's worth checking out on Empire YouTube. State. Mm-hmm. Eh. And M- Empire State, eh. yeah, exactly. I'm still, for me, the Shiga standard is still set at Book Hunter. But for those people who have access to their library and really like reading uh, what I think of as in, it, like high-grade witty dialogue, I definitely recommend Empire State. There are some some parts in it that are just, the dialogue is, is a cut above. It's just it kind of doesn't really coalesce into anything as strong as you would like. So... Um, but it looks like a gold standard compared to the next book that I read. Oh, good link. Go. It, I read 120 Days of Simon by Simon Gardenforce. Uh, are you familiar with the book, Graham? No. Who is, I don't even know who Simon Gardenforce is. Exactly. He is a Swedish cartoonist. Uh, this is published by Top Shelf. Oh, is it Top Shelf? I have the strangest feeling that I actually have read it. I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have. Basically, oh Graham... Oh, my God. I really do think I might have read it. I, I'm, you, I'm Googling right now to see if it looks familiar. Yeah. Do you do you remember... Oh, no, God, I have. Yes, I you have. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, yes, I've read it. Remember, yeah, Graham, yeah, that, yeah. that book where you're like, Top Shelf apparently wanted me to read this book so that I could appreciate James Kolshaka because uh, I found I, out how unbelievably annoying a cartoonist musician can actually be. Well, here's the thing. I got this book and another few like Swedish books from Top Shelf. Mm-hmm. At the same time, what else did I get? I'm looking at what they're publishing. Yeah, I definitely got Hey Princess by Matt Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's it. I thought I got another one, but it's not published here. Um and I was like, hey, Swedish comics. And let's just say that I wasn't very excited about Swedish comics when I finished <laughs> Did you pick up Moomin? I mean, I know that sort of... I've, I've, uh, no, I, I grew up on the Moomins. I haven't read the Moomins as an adult, though. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Because, you know, they started getting reissued by Drawn and Quarterly, I want to say. Is that not Top Shelf? I don't remember, Graham. Uh, yes, it's Top Shelf. Oh, no, are you looking it up now? I'm looking it up right now. It's apparently drawn a quarterly because Top Shelf's website has nothing on movements. Woohoo! I win. Uh, anyway, but I also lost. Yeah, 120 Days of, of Simon. Seeing as you've read it clearly more recently and have more to say about it other than it wasn't very good, go, Jeff Lester. Well, it wasn't very good, Graham. <laughs> the end. The end. Uh, so, yes. So... Listeners might be wondering, why didn't I like it? Well, let me tell you. Uh, it is drawn in a cartoony style that is very limp, I would have to say. I mean, I, it, it, first off, there's two panels per page, uh, one atop another. So you're sort of constantly tumbling through the pages. Second, uh, it is an autobiographical comic by Simon Gardenforce, who was – I read this Wikipedia page later. When did he undertake this thing? He he decides to go and spend four months on the road where for 120 days he wasn't allowed to return to his home or spend more than two nights at the same place. And he actually had people uh, volunteer to host him for a night or two. Uh, during the course of this whole situation. Now, what he sort of downplays, like he doesn't really even, he sort of vaguely mentions the fact that he is successful. 
or, or that his band is successful. But back in 2004, he and his buddy apparently had a huge indie Swedish rap hit, uh, which I don't have my browser open, so I can't tell you about. So what you th- what would be like it's an amazing contrast with uh Kathor Jensen's uh black eye red eye uh which in some ways has a lot of the exact um same premise in that Jensen goes across the country and has strangers sort of sign up to sort of host him and meet him um the difference is Jensen ends up you know broke and desperate and arguing, you know, with his landlord long distance over money and kind of on the verge of starvation and feeling desperate and miserable most of the time. And this guy is basically getting blown by groupies every six pages. But because of his drawing style, it really, if you basically, if you wanted to see, read a perverse Bazooka Joe comic book strip in black and white at two panels per page over the course of 400 pages, let me just tell you, no, you don't. So <laughs> I was going to say, you're making it sound much more interesting than it was. Not even much more good, but I seem to remember it was just a very dull book. It's super dull. Well, because the idea is, and they hype, they hype it like clearly out of the mind on the back of the book. Like he's like, well, he's traveling. It's 120 days. Like he ends up on TV. He ends up getting, you know, uh, getting into a conflict where there's like a, you know, He's worried that he can't go back to to a town because he like slept with somebody's sister and there's a gang that's going to threaten to kill him and all this stuff. But it's basically just very dull. In that sense, it's very much like real life, except it's this guy's life at 28 where it, 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 it's like things are about to happen. But of course, he manages to talk his way out and then things kind of don't. And then he smokes a lot of, you know, hash and then he has sex with somebody. And maybe that someone is underage, you know, or maybe they're not. And uh, it it becomes a grinding bore. It really is. And I don't think that he really even means it to be a grinding bore. It's kind of like a, oh, holy shit, what kind of crazy escapade have I gotten myself into now? And I'm like, you guys are just pretend. Like at one point, uh, a TV crew goes and follows him onto a stay where he's staying with strangers. Well, the strangers are actually people that he knows, but they lie to the TV studio. So, you know, his buddy, who's a cartoonist, also a cartoonist who plays the host, uh, invites him in and talks about how they're going to have to make sacrifices to the Norse gods and stuff like that. And it, I guess it could be because, A, you're in on the joke. It, it becomes this, oh, look how daring we are, like pulling one over on Swedish TV producers, which I don't know, I guess maybe, I don't know, I didn't see Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, but maybe that's like, Maybe that's like a big thing. Like maybe that guarantees that you're going to be killed and your penis is cut off or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I got to admit, I only saw the trailer for it a couple of times. But 120 Days of Simon is 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 dull. I really was like, I'm so... <laughs> I'm so glad you reminded me of that book. I totally didn't even recognize the title. <laughs> I know. It was great. You're like, huh? Oh, I've never heard of that. Wait, I've read it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, the worst part was I'm like, well, I'm not really going to be able to top that as far as a review goes, you know? So, um... Uh, <laughs> and then the... What else? What else did you have in the library? The last book that I'm going to talk about, because it's the last book that I actually finished reading, 
uh, is uh, Hikaro no Go, uh, which is by Yumiata and Takishi Obata. It, it, this thing is, was pretty big. This, Obata is the artist who is, was doing, just finished Bakuman before that did Death Note. And before that did this series, which was apparently a screamingly huge hit, uh, in Japan and I guess across the world about a young kid who, um, stumbles across his grandfather's go board, which is possessed by a ghost of a classic go player, uh, and, uh, situations contrive to basically the go- the the ghost. All he wants is the chance to play go. the The kid, of course, wants nothing to do with it. But you know, uh, essentially, because the ghost can help him with his history classes and because of other things. Through the course of the volumes, you see him sort of start to get develop an interest in in go. Are you familiar with the game? Go. No, not at all. You keep on saying go like I know what it is. And I, I know. I, I thought I would do it because that's how the book is a little bit. But thank God they actually start breaking it down in some of the text pages. It's one of those games that's supposed to be like awesome, like chess. Like you you must remember here in the States, I think it basically got called Othello, I suppose, you know, with black stones and white stones being laid on a board. And except the idea is by you take turns laying your tiles down across a, a nine by nine, 19 by 19 board. I think, I guess at some beginners use a nine by nine board, a, a 19 by 19 grid. And the idea is you capture territory, um, by boxing in your, uh, your area with, col- with your colored stones. You can also, um, conquer, uh, the other person, you you can you know sort of take their stones if you manage to successfully box those in as well. So it's it's like somewhere between a little bit of chess, a little bit of checkers, a little bit of its own thing. And I should shut up trying to reduce an unbelievably great you know game that is thousands of years old down to something so reductive as a premise. <laughs> but I think you kind of get the the. the it's kind of like this. Hey, history. Hey, tradition. You yeah, know, you're, you're you're kind of like this. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. So, so the kid is I don't know, twelve. He's like in sixth grade or something like that. You know, Obata's drawing, of course, is um, it's it's much more sort of friendly and amenable, considering like nobody's actually dying as of volume one. You know. Nor is it deeply misogynistic as far as I can tell, although admittedly it's just all boys at this point with one very, very token female character. Uh, it's fun. Oh, and I should – I let me put that with a disclaimer that as far as I can tell, Hik, Hik, uh, Hikaru no Go, the original title from the writer is was originally, okay, but the ghost is gay, right? So I actually was not sure that the ghost, I thought, well, I thought the ghost was a woman, frankly, because the ghost, uh, the ghost is from the, uh, oh gosh, uh, is, is an ancient go master who taught the emperor of Japan many years ago. They, they say what era, but I don't think that really works for either you and me. Like you'd be like, oh, the Hainan era, and then help the world's greatest go player of the Edo era fascinating let's just say that that essentially the player the 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 go player uh ghost it wears long hair 
has earrings, big doe-like eyes, wears like a long katana and, uh, you know, a hat over long flowing black hair. So either the original title is, so the ghost is gay or, okay, so Jeff is gay for the ghost. I honestly thought the ghost was a woman for the first three chapters uh, and eventually just had to look it up on Wikipedia just to make sure. And even then they weren't that clear. So I, I watched like the first five minutes of the, the anime adaptation on Hulu. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty, pretty sure it's a dude. But the dude only wants to play Go and wanted to become the best Go player of all time. And, and now that their spirit is awakened by this kid touching the board, they want to play Go. The kid has no interest. You get to learn about Go as, of course, the kid gets dragged in. And, of course, you know, the the insanely, you know, as is typical for a Japanese manga, competitive world of Go players is being, you know, explored. And I have to say, I tore through volume one. I checked out volumes two and three at the same time. And uh, I I managed to make it three chapters into volume two before I called you. So I'm digging it. I'm kind of digging it. It is clearly uh, the sort of thing that is, you know, like, for me, it's about somewhere between 30 to 35 years uh, under my age range, but I'm still enjoying it, I guess, uh, as the great thing about manga is. So it's competitive sports manga with ghosts playing, you know, the je- the Asian version of chess. Kind of Which exciting. is kind of wonderful. I mean, when you put it like that, it's just American comics don't do enough of that. Not nearly enough. Do you know Not what I mean? Like yeah. in any way, what mm-hmm. I really liked about what you were just saying was the fact that it works as an introduction to the game. Mm-hmm. Because it puts the educational portion of it within an adventure context. Yes. Which you just don't get that much in mm-hmm. American comics. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's actually kind of interesting and frustrating about the first couple of chapters is, um, you know, uh, uh, Hikaru starts playing the game and then you see the ghost sort of be like, please, 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 can I like start, pl- you know, playing? And... um and then you really don't necessarily see the conclusions of the games. And at mm-hmm. first you're like, oh, well, that's kind of a cheat. But it sort of helps you because you kind of don't necessarily know what's going on. It's a good way to get around the fact. Um, that you don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, Yeah, or- no, I can imagine if, for example, if I were reading it because I don't know Go, if they went into a lot of detail of the game, mm-hmm. that would be a really easy way for me to drop off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because I'd be like, I just don't get what's going on. And so right. I'm drop off. So doing the essentially the introduction and the lead up mm-hmm. and then cutting is mm-hmm. really smart because it makes me want to know what's going to go, go on in the game exactly. without giving me the detail so that I'd get lost and get bored and drop off. Exactly. Exactly. So they do a they do a great job uh storytelling wise of the bait and switch so that you kind of want to know more and pretty soon you're intrigued by the game. They do a very, very good job because the, the kid, the protagonist also is sort of kind of interested in getting in trying to play the game on his own, because this is the other thing that I think is brilliant is they realize that having a brilliant go playing ghost kind of takes the drama out of the matches. And so they start figuring out different ways whether that's like the kid and the ghost arguing inside his head as to who gets to play or who wants to play. Um, 
but also like the ki- the kid's interest in the game sort of waxes and wanes because he's playing at this really high level. He'll get in, you know, where the ghost plays and then he'll, you know, say, let me take care of this. And the next thing he knows, he's in deep over his head. And so it feels both fair and um, and dramatic. So it's, it's yeah, it's, you know, I have to say it really is that, you know, it's in some ways, I'm sure it's like Shonen Manga 101, but it is it is incredibly it, enjoyable. It, and it's wonderful to see, like it may be Shonen Manga 101, but because we're so unfamiliar with that formula and with yeah, that format, exactly. you really do have a moment of, that's incredibly fucking smart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, just from a storytelling point of view, that's really smart. Yeah. Because you're not, because it's still new to you. Because mm-hmm. you don't have the... You know, well, that's just part of, you know, that's a trope that comes with the genre. I am bored of that already. Right. Thing where you've grown up with it and you are bored of it. Mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. don't know. I really appreciate that. That's one of the things that um, I really like about Bakuman. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, once I get past the misogyny and then everything, <laughs> uh, I, I genuinely love the deconstruction of comics that are not familiar to you in the first place. Yes, if that exactly. makes sense. Like yeah. that stuff is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is, and what's great is it really does. Like uh, for me, it totally affects how I read manga now. In a but in a way that's enjoyable. Like it's right now, it's very much at that. Like oh, I can see a little behind the scenes of what's going on, but I'm not. But not in any sort of like oh, I'm seeing too much kind of way. But yeah, it's kind totally. of like oh, you you get a sense of either what the genre is or how they're messing with it or what the storytelling approaches are. And so, yeah, you can begin to appreciate some of the nuance and that's, that's really enjoyable. And so, yeah, sort of the same way that I think it really was so smart that they were like, Oh yeah, Bakuman, we're basically going to do what other people have done with sports, but we're going to do it about manga, which is an incredibly competitive field. And you'll have the same sort of challenges and the same sort of sense of rules and history that mean so much. And it's, just awesome. Still enjoying it. Uh, in fact, I have to say, like, on Tuesday, I did actually, was it this Tuesday or last Tuesday? This Tuesday, the print version of Bakuman came out. And then last week, the digital version came out. And there have been times when I've been flush with money. I, I'm i ashamed, but I'll admit it. I have bought the digital version just so that I could read it a week earlier than the print version, which I already had on hold. Jeff Lester. I know, I know, Graham. We are. That, we are. That, that's why you're poor now. That that is. Well, I didn't do it then, but yes, that is sort <laughs> of. That is certainly why. Oh, but you know what? Speaking of poor and comic books and uh, digital, um, did you know that the first two issues of DC's Suicide Squad are on Comicsology? The first two issues of Suicide Squad. John Ostrander, oh, Luke McDonald. I know. I did not. Yeah, the first issue is oh, only they will 99 be. cents. Because they would have been part of the Legends sale, right? Oh, you know, I think you're right. Uh, except it was funny. I remember looking for them during the Legends sale and I didn't see them. So I was like, what do I care? So, yeah, first issue is 99 cents. Second issue is $1.99. Issue two only came out this week on Comixology. Not quite sure what happened with issue one. Um, so people who like comic books for... Under $2.99, you can get 40-some-odd pages of kind of a, 
awesome, astonishing comic book stuff that I loved when I first read. And rereading it now, Graham, holy it's, shit. It still holds up. It it yeah, it holds up. I mean, the thing that's amazing is is um not only does it hold up, but there's so much considering that it opens with all sorts of where uh, basically uh a a you know the Islamic terrorist attacks, yeah, Islamic terrorists attacking an airport. Um it you know, it is such a uh it is such the this is this is what widescreen comics were before wide screen comics were invented yes i've i've said that uh before not only of that but also of walt simonson's fantastic four mm. they're like two comics of i want to say roughly the same period i could be wrong i might because walt yeah walt simonson's fantastic four might have been really early 90s now that i'm thinking about it but um yeah they they really predicted like what was going to be happening 10 years from then mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so i mean they're 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 paced very differently. It is not uh, uncommon for um, uh, for Luke McDonald to put like eleven panels on a page, you know, or ten panels, like super super busy. But on the other hand, it moves like a motherfucker. Like I was reading, I think even the first issue, and I was like, wait, this isn't over yet. Like I had that weird thing, like through the second issue, where I'm like. Holy shit, this is this is halfway through the book. Like it's just so dense. But unlike the super dense Stan Lee Marvel style of like, we're just gonna tell everything to you, you know, it it actually has it's closer to the way that people tell comic stories now. There's no no uh expository captions. Um, I think there's like three thought balloons that pop up halfway through issue two, but other uh, than they're that, probably from Captain Boomerang, aren't they? Uh, you know, they they it, was it uh, so you know, mate. If I had my way, dot dot dot. <laughs> they they have they definitely normally he's saying those things out loud. That's Actually, true. what it is is it's Deadshot versus uh, this the Manticore. Um, and he's trying to sneak up on it and it doesn't talk. So he's kind of saying things like, hmm, fun or interesting or, huh, they didn't bother to armor the face, you know, stuff like that. That is, but it's like, you know, you're used to things being, you know, the the thought balloon being some sort of like, oh, hey, here's what's going on with me. Gosh, why doesn't so-and-so love me back? And it is pretty much just like, what if I shoot them there? What if I shoot them here? And it's just strictly for the creation of some sort of dramatic tension within the fight. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing stuff. Like, seriously, that the first issue is 23 pages, so call it 22 with a cover. I guess that's the same for the second issue. So 44 pages for two ninety nine. It's actually a complete intro story, and it's loaded with so much guns and explosions and action and double crosses – uh, and characters, absurd amounts of characters, you know? Yes, like, and, and that was just getting started. Because remember, it got crazier? Yes, yeah. I thought, to me at the time, I was like, uh, a little too much. But I have to say, if they do something with Suicide Squad that they've been doing with, like, uh, the Wally West era Flash and just throwing an issue or two of these up at $1.99 a go. Yeah, because that's amazing. That's already up to, like, issue 58 or something. Yeah, they've 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 continued to go all the way up, and only recently, like that's I gone say, up to two ninety nine. Yeah, it was after issue fifty. 
Yeah. So whereas for a while there, it was really affordably priced. Um, so I'm perfectly, I'm more than willing to, if they, if Comixology keeps putting them out, I will keep buying them. It's a well, really you, you good You know that deal. the first like nine issues or so are in a trade, right? Yeah, but I don't know. Isn't it weird? I'm like, yeah, but it's a trade. <laughs> no, it's true. You definitely, you definitely have a like, oh, digital singles. You know, it's it's like two dollars. Okay, which you mm-hmm. wouldn't get for the trade because it seems much less of an investment. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those weird like I can do it. I can drop it any time. You know, maybe three issues in, I won't. Maybe I will. Maybe they'll stop publishing it. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, it's that- great, great, great stuff. Yeah, really, really good. Oh, and uh, I finally read the Justice League of America uh, issue two, the annual issue two, the um, the formation of the Justice League. Oh, Detroit. Detroit. Oh, Jeff, because it's a classic. I had to pick it up because of you talking about it, Graham. And I, I got to say, it's 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 a classic of its era. It is. It is a classic of its era. I mean, you know, there's stuff that just is like the art is draggy, but I have to say, like. Having seen Conway do a lot of other stuff that I thought was pretty phoned in type work for DC, I I really thought that his heart was was really in trying to create this create this Justice League and make it kind of interesting. Oh no, it definitely is. I I think Detroit. I think he does some really. Uh, I'm going to have to say interesting because it's not entirely successful, but I think his Justice League Detroit stuff is genuinely worth paying attention to. I agree. I have to agree. I, I agree. Like you said, not successful, kind of goofy, but in a weird sort of like I felt like when you turned me on to the first couple of issues of Firestorm in a like its heart is in the right place and it's kind of ambitious and it doesn't work out for a variety of who knows reasons. Still pretty good. Yeah, Still buddy. Pretty, but he's good. really trying. Yeah, he's really, really trying. trying it. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it, it really is kind of spectacular from that I, and again i have a really strong nostalgic thing for it because that that was the justice league when i was really paying attention to comics mm, right which was this was the justice league when i was totally tuned out and i have to say like man there's something i don't know if it's just you know no offense i i thought that the guy drawing the annual did what chuck Patton. yeah chuck Patton. um his stuff's okay in an utterly generic way. Yes, that, no, totally. Uh, that I am stunned. Like I'm like, wow, this stuff is like, like almost schematic, you know, in its genericism. And it's one of the weird things I have to say about uh, about the Justice League because I I also picked up the during the the two hundred one sale. I picked up the two issues of. Uh, Justice League in the hundreds where they meet JLA and JSA meet the freedom fighters. Yeah. Um, and, and that stuff is like, uh, that was like two issues. I'd read the first issue like a week ago and I was like, I should tell Graham about this. And I'm like, but I don't remember how it ends. Was it really that unmemorable? And I was <laughs> yes, looking at it. it was. Well, to be fair, it kind of was, but I also, it was so unmemorable that I'd given up reading the first episode issue like halfway through and then forgot. But um, here's the thing, you know, the issue you should buy and everyone should buy mm. issue 200. The jam issue is great. Oh, yeah. It's um, Jerry Conway with art by George Perez, Jim Aparo, Brian Boland. Wow. Uh, Gil Kane, Joe Kubert. I think that might be it. Wow. That's uh, because it's the original league are possessed 
and so mm-hmm. the, the more recent members have to fight them. And it's like, let's split them into teams. Right. So you'll have like Joe Cooper doing Hawkman versus Superman. Mm-hmm. Or the Atom versus Green Lantern by Gil Kane. Wow. Yeah, see, that's great. And so it's awesome. Yeah, and it's uh, it's Aquaman versus Red Tornado, I think, by Jim Aparo. Mm. Wow. So And it's, you know, like 80, hang on, 82. So like they're all kind of still got it. Do you know what I mean? Like no mm-hmm. one started dropping off yet. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just an amazing looking book. And Brian Boland does Green Arrow and Black Canary versus Batman. Oh, man. And it's 1982, Brian Boland. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's amazing. So it's like one ninety nine on Comixology. And seriously, for two bucks, that's a great lineup of artists. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to say, uh, yeah, I will I will probably pick that up. I, I dissed uh, issues, gosh, was it 107 and 108 of Justice League? But I kind of love them. I read them when I was a kid. And my main problem with it is... It's it's Len Wen and Len Wein and it's I think it's Dick Dillon's doing the art so it's kind of got that you know I I'm just always I this, I think this was my segue is like I'm always shocked by how Justice League has so many artists that are like utterly generic or or just are are masters at stripping the dynamicism from their storytelling like they're they're they might be sometimes they've got well, some Dick, Dick Dillon was appallingly i don't know if generic is the right word but just a really dull artist i mean that's it he's kind of great but he has no dynamism at all yeah exactly like i i was realizing like where i was getting at is you would get artists that might have some inherent flair based on their art style but had no way of bringing any pizzazz to the story like i've i am really it's you have to work really hard to find any of the joy and wonder in these two issues of Justice League, despite the fact that it's got teams from two Earths being lost on a third Earth where the Nazis have taken over, you know, the world and have been running it for the last few centuries. And there's this desperate attempt to destroy the three mind control computers spread across the Earth. Um, You know, it's like... And of course, right off the bat, you're like three mind control computers. Doesn't that seem like a little arbitrary? You know, it's that thing of like, God damn, even, you know, it's like issue 120. And it was like they had an enormous Justice League plotting wheel, you know, on the wall that was kind of like, okay, can't get too far away from the Gardner Fox template here that we've got right here. But you can give it a spin and it will, you know, mix up some of the variables, which is generally who gets split into the three teams and who comes up with the idea to switch enemies to beat, you know, the people who are beating them. Exactly. The end. No, no, totally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I kind of love that formula. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's, that's very much what appeals to me about that sort of thing. Right. Even while it's driving me nuts. Um, and I have to say, there's part of me that I think probably because this happened so close to me buying Philip K. Dick's Man in the High Castle, I'm like, God, I would love to take a crack at a comic book series where the Nazis basically rule the world. You know what I mean? Uh, because what happens is after they destroy the mind control computers, people don't go back to the way they are. 
you know. Um, well, actually, I take it back. I think I, I think they turn around and like everything's fine now. But then they spun off the the Freedom Fighters into their own series, and they're like, nope, still fighting Nazis. And uh, there's part of me that's like, sure, fighting Nazis is generic enough. But there's kind of this thing of like, yeah, but it'd be kind of really interesting to tell an alternate, you know, science fiction story. I think especially now <laughs> for me, you know, for a pinko like me to sort of sit down and, 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 and tr- you know, take a crack at a story that talks about a fascist America and, and the way that you could play with the parallels with it. But be like, but no, it's because of Hitler, right? You know, so. <laughs> it's Hitler, right? That, that we agree. It, that's Hitler. Um, so here's my question. Yes. Why don't you do that? Through Comixology's submit thing, oh, like yeah. why, why don't you again for listeners? Um, Comixology has announced a self-publishing thing, so mm-hmm. you can self-publish through Comixology. Like, would that interest you? Well, you know, here's the thing. I, I I'm currently chasing myself down a. Uh, a different creative hellhole, if you will. Oh, um, I know. I'm aware of your, if it's exactly. the one I'm thinking of. Oh, you are. You, you do. Uh, but um, so I, I, I can barely unitask, much less multitask, I think, in that regard. Oh, hello. I, are you I'm, still? Yes. I'm sending you a file. Ooh. I'm sending so you a exciting. picture of um, the Jim Aparo Aquaman Retornado. Oh, and is it showing me? No, uh, well, you're you. supposed to download, which is what you're not doing, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> this happened the last time you sent me a contact I, uh, or a file. It took me like 20 minutes to figure out how to download it after the file. You know what I'll do? I'll email it to you instead. Perfect. That's what I'll do. Seems very smart. Yeah, you do this thing in Skype where you're like, chat. You send me a chat message. And I'm like, I don't oh, Why didn't you just email me? I've turned into your grandfather. It's like, oh, you kids. Why don't you what, just what call are you, me on? What are you doing? I don't understand. Why can't you just call me on the phone and talk like regular human beings? I love that. I always When people are like, they can't even call on the phone, you know, like God meant us to do. You know? It's just because <laughs> like, right? you have guilt when not calling your, your parents. Ah, well, it is true. I don't know why my mom won't just respond to my texts where it's like, hey, mom, love you, LOL. You know, it's just, she's not, I don't know. Winky face. <laughs> <laughs> love you. <laughs> <laughs> Cartoon poo. So, uh, yeah. I don't know why. Your, your hellhole, your personal hellhole. Oh, my personal hellhole, right. Uh, which is, right, so many areas that I can go to. But I think my, my creative work Here's the thing. Comixology support. What is that called? What? Submit. Comixology submit. Comixology submit. Okay. So it doesn't sound like a bra. It sounds like a sex club. No. Comixology not. submit. I have to say, Comixology submit. I have written about it twice today for two different outlets. Mm-hmm. And the second time I wrote, I was like, it's like submissive Mitt Romney. I don't <laughs> know And I was like, I've got to get this out of my brain. I have to get this out of my brain. Yeah, good luck. That or Mitt Romney underwater. <laughs> underwater? Wait, why? Submariner. Oh, see? Nice. <laughs> and it's Graham for the comic book nerd win. Uh, yeah, no, that's, uh, that, that is exactly. Well, okay. So there's the name aside, the fact that they split the, 
the proceeds with you 50-50 <laughs> strikes me as a shit deal. I don't know. Is that just me? I'm well, like here's, – Here's the way I'm looking at it. Yes, it's kind of a shit deal. But if the ops- if the alternative is like nothing – well, is that your alternative? I mean, I mean, let's put it this way. None of us are exactly burning up the wires talking about Hunt Emerson this week, but maybe we should, right? You know, do you know what I'm talking about? I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. What has Hunt Emerson done recently? Hunt Emerson has come out with an iPhone iPad app that for $9.99 allow, has like um, several hundred pages of his of stories. Uh, and cartoons of his stuff, of his work. And I, I assume he's going to be updating it with it. You didn't know this? I didn't know this, but also part of me is like, that's great, but it's 200 pages of Hunt Emerson for $10. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, uh, do you mean that you don't like Hunt Emerson? I'm not a massive fan of Hunt Emerson is partially what I'm saying. Okay. But also, I think at that price... Mm-hmm. And at that length, you well, have to you have to be a Hunt Emerson fan to buy it. As opposed to if you're on Comicsology, you're there beside all these other things. Agreed. And you're offering it. You can offer it at such a price that it won't be prohibitive. This is great. Do you know what when I mean? I, I I totally think that you can make your own special iPad device, iPad mm-hmm. app, mm-hmm. and your special iPad app can be ten dollars and can have a million pages on it. But. Right. The problem isn't always the technology. The problem is making sure people know it's out there. Yes. Do you know agree. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. for example, on Amazon, I had no idea this had happened. Right. And I fucking write about comics for a living. Do you know what I'm saying? So how many, how many people are actually going to be buying this from Hunt Emerson? Yeah. No, I know. Exactly. So there is that advantage. So how many is it? Oh, excuse me. I was right. Over 200 pages of, of collected Emerson. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree, but... But I don't agree. Fifty percent worth is the thing, Graham. No, that, that, but that's what I'm saying. I don't. I think fifty percent is a, a bold move from Comicsology that completely abuses their power in this situation. Yeah, it. However, um, yes. I think you could. I think there's a calculated risk in there. Mm-hmm. I think you could say it's worth it for the audience that is going to be there that I might reach. Hmm. I, I have a sneaking I, – I suspect that what happened is they started seeing some of the money that was coming in via monkey brain or something like that and went, well, you know, we could have just done this. You know, I, like why didn't we just think of doing something like this and we, we put up a banner and we get it put in. But, you know, we'll just take the cut of half. I mean the thing is, is I – again, I I think they're in a fine position to get sued. Um, you know, I think – I think DC and Marvel would be kind of, you know, crazy to not be at least like, hey, so suddenly you're distributing us and you're competing directly against us in the marketplace where you control the, you know, how it's promoted and presented. I don't think that I'm very happy about this, you know. I, 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 it just strikes me as a bad maneuvering. I certainly see people being able to turn around and go, well, yeah, you know, but, and, and I guess there is a lot of public, I guess I haven't seen, there may, there may be a ton of people who are like, I've been trying to crack the comicsology market with my indie book and they wouldn't even look at it. And the only way I could get through in, you know, get myself 
you know, presented digitally was if I went through image or something like that. But it, I mean, that's it. Based between Comixology support and image, it sort of seems like, you know, uh, image, well, admittedly, image, you've got to have an actual physical book in hand. But I just, I don't know, Graham. I, I, I like you said, bold was the main thing that struck with me. Um, and I just, I just think that anybody who's starting out, unless you're, unless you're somebody big, like really big, um, you know, for, for you to turn around, particularly someone like me, where it's like, I've got to, you know, uh, I assume pay the artist unless I find somebody who, you know, so connects with what I'm trying to do that they want to be co-creators. And even then, because they're war- they, it's so extensive, I can't imagine not fronting them or paying them some sort of money up front, you know. Um, and then having t- for us, like, have half of half of the cut be taken by Comixology right out of the gate. Well, of course, unless you sell, unless someone buys it through Apple, in which case it's more than half. Well, that's true. Right. That, exactly. that's, the crazy, that's the crazy math. Because if yeah. someone buys it through Apple, Apple takes 30%, and then Comixology takes half of your 70% that's remaining, so you actually get 35%. Yeah. Although, although wasn't Comixology taking a 30% cut anyway? So it's, it's like for, for publishers, when you buy through Apple anyway, they're only seeing a third of the cash after Apple takes a third and Comixology takes a third? Wasn't that the way that it was looking anyway? The way it's described in the VentureBeat article is Comixology will take 35% of Apple sales. Because they will take half of what is left after Apple has taken its third. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's for Comixology Submit. But, I mean, isn't isn't it regularly, like, it wasn't the whole thing, like, when, like, someone buys a Marvel book, let's say they buy a Marvel book through the Comixology app on on their iPad – doesn't mm-hmm. like, doesn't Apple get a third of the cut yes. of that? Yes. Right. Yes. And then and then and then there's a third that goes to Comixology right off the bat too for their cut. So like, isn't the dude only left with a? Th- I don't know. Oh, that, Jeff, that's amazing. You're right. You should be buying Marvel books off Comixology. <laughs> <laughs> Solution. Yeah, take that, that Marvel. Way they'll get less money. You're right. Well, it's true. It, it is. It is. It is a way. But that is. Um, yeah. Take that, guys. Mm, and I can read my delightful Thanos quest at last, and nobody will know. You know, I, I have to say, Graham. Um, this does. I hate to change the subject, but I had a weird moment this week uh, where I did open up the Comicsology app to see what was going on, uh-huh. and they had Uncanny Avengers number one, like of course a big flash screen on it. Uh-huh. And I had this weird moment of like, oh, I want that. I could get it and nobody would ever know. And <laughs> uh, that was weird. That was really weird what, what for part me. Part of it was weird. The wanting it or the nobody would ever know part? No, the 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 wanting it part. The nobody would ever know part is is sad, but I, I definitely have fed... Is, is this where I tell you that I have bought and read Uncanny Avengers issue one? 
Uh, this probably is. Well, no, I guess what I was going to say before we, it's a, apparently a great segue because I want to hear what you have to say about it. But I really have to say, because I've been swapping some some emails with uh, Voodoo Ben about this because he had the same sort of like, ah, I was at the store and I, I wanted it. And I don't know how I felt really, because, you know, one thing that's been great is the number of people, it seems like in the last couple of weeks, I've had more people sort of talk to me and admit that they're sort of also not buying Marvel. Yeah. And so I feel a little less alone on that front, which has been kind of nice. Um, but but it was weird. He, you know, so Voodoo Ben was like, yeah, I really buy almost nothing from Marvel. I just pretty much am buying Daredevil, you know. Uh, but suddenly I found myself really reluctant to walk away from Uncanny Avengers. Like, I want that. And it was weird. I opened the Comixology app and I had that weird like, oh, I want that. I I, I, I want that. And I'm like, why? Why would I? Why? That crap cover the well here's my here's my question Mm -hmm. do you want that or is it marvel now because i found myself so interested in marvel now comics that i normally wouldn't have been like Mm. uh gillen mckelvey's young avengers yes Mm -hmm. please uh the iron man yes please Mm -hmm. even even fantastic four i'm really curious about do you know what i mean like all these things where I wouldn't normally like I don't really have that much of a connection to the character. Mm-hmm. I'm like, huh, I'd, I'd really like to see that. I'd really like to try that out. Like I'm excited about young Avengers. Right. Right. Well, I, I have to admit the, the few pages of young of it, the, the teaser of young Avengers. I've been like, yeah, I, I would want to read. I don't know. Maybe I've just been having more weird, like, um, you know, when I first quit eating meat, I had that phase where it's like you go for a couple of months and you're fine. And then suddenly you're hit with this weird craving that comes out of nowhere. Like after six months or nine months or something like that. Um, And so maybe just that's it because I was reading actually the link. I was reading your blog at Newsarama post about Matt Fraction sort of talking about his run on Invincible Iron Man. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like, you know, I want to read that. I want to read the rest of that. Like, I read the first 20 issues of it, and I thought it was okay. It was like dumb, fun comics. I want to read the rest of it. And then part of me is like, so what? So you want to read it? So what? You know? So I don't know, Graham. I, part of it, it could be Marvel now. I think it was just that weird thing of like, oh, you You, you missed the comics. Cool. You missed the characters. No, I don't. Because I, because I have access to those characters. I think there is a little bit of that feeling of oh, I want to see what these characters are now. Or the flip side of it is I had that weird John Cassidy thing of like, oh, no, this is these are all these little shortcuts that are telling me that this is going to be something that I, I'm going to like and I want to get it because I'm going to like it. I don't know, some combination. That's really interesting to say that about Cassidy because I thought Cassidy's art was by far the weakest part of Young Avengers. Oh. Uh, of Uncanny Avengers. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me. That would not surprise me, actually. So tell me, tell me about Some, the issue. Something has happened to his art, in mm-hmm. particular his faces. Mm-hmm. That I don't know seems really strange to me. Um, they have become stylized in a way that I'm not quite sure I could explain. Yeah, he. But, I don't. But I feel like he didn't come back from motion comics. You know what I mean? Once yeah. you go to motion comics, you never come back. <laughs> I don't know. It's just there's there's a double page spread. Um, really early on the issue, that is Wolverine looking up at a portrait of Professor X, mm-hmm. 
and like flashbacks and everything. And the second panel for everyone who has this comic of like a close up of Wolverine looking up. Not only does it not look like Wolverine, it doesn't really look like a person. Wow. It's it's like the eyes are so big mm-hmm. and so stylized. Mm-hmm. That it just looks really, really weird, like really off-puttingly weird. Hmm. And there's just like that's all the way through it. And also, he's he was never the most consistent character artist, as mm-hmm. in characters change from panel to panel. Uh, but that is extremely on show in this one. Uh, mm. Wolverine has a a wandering hairline, <laughs> uh, and for that matter, a wandering length of face Ooh. all the way through the book. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a really, the layout is fine. Mm-hmm. The coloring is spectacular. I think it's Laura Martin again. Um, but the actual line work is really a disappointment. Hmm. It, it's really, really, uh, weirdly off-puttingly. It's not even that it's bad. It's just not right. And so as a result, it's really off-putting. Hmm. But I will say this, and I, I'm not really going to spoil the comic by saying this, but um, if anyone wanted proof that Professor Xavier was probably not going to come back anytime soon, this would be the comic to read. Really? <laughs> yes. The last page, which I don't know if you've seen people on Twitter be like, holy shit, that last page of Uncanny Avengers. Yeah, that last page, uh, there's, there's no coming back. Really? <laughs> there is a comeback. Like, Sure. Lots of comebacks. It's a life mold decoy, yada, yada, yada. But mm-hmm. yeah, it pretty definitively says that Professor Xavier is dead. Wow. In, in a way that's so hilariously over the. People <laughs> <laughs> are kind of like, wow, this is. Like, this has gone from a really dull comic to a batshit insane comic. <laughs> that's great. Very serious, like, um, what if Ed Brubaker had no sense of humor comic? Mm-hmm. To Bob Haney, like, on, in the last two pages. Really? Oh, my God, Graham. You're kind of, hmm, can, can we just put it on spoiler alert for everyone else and you can just tell me? Okay. Uh, so the last two pages of the comic are, it cuts to, oh, yeah, so previously, uh, Scarlet Witch has been visiting Charles Xavier's grave. Mm-hmm. Hulk shows up. They have a, a like. I don't like you. I don't like you either. Thing. Then the bad guys attack and they blow up the grave. Uh huh. Then cuts to a secret hideout, which looks like nothing as much as the Legion of Doom's hideout, <laughs> in which the Red Skull cuts open the corpse of Professor Xavier and lifts out his brain because he's going to be using the brain of Charles Xavier to eradicate the mutant menace. (laughs) Seriously, the head of Charles Xavier, like, cut open and as if he's, like, pulled the flaps back. Right. With the red skull behind him holding up his brain. Oh, that's beautiful. That is, that's pretty (laughs) hilarious. Kind of amazing. Ah, uh, that's great. Um, well, that stuff. Yes, like that mm-hmm. is so fucking batshit that you're like, sure, I will. Yeah. That craziness. Um, the rest of the comic is kind of dull. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's really weighed down by the 
okay, this is the big one. You know, it, it, it's very, it doesn't really come back from that, which is a shame. Also, really depressingly weighed down is AVX Consequences. Mm-hmm. The five-part epilogue. Mm-hmm. Um, which just does not work for me at all. And also, it doesn't really work for me continuity-wise with Uncanny Avengers. Huh. Kind of like, wait, is this happening before? No, wait, it has to be happening after. But what? You know? Like, I, it's... It, it, I don't get it. And, uh... And it really reminds me in a very, very strange way of um, Civil War Frontline. Hmm. You remember the series that was Speedball, you killed all those kids, now you're in prison. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of that. Oof. Which is never a good thing. <laughs> never a good comparison. Although, if it does mean that Cyclops ends up like calling himself Penance, he becomes the new Penance. That'd not be awesome. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, but yeah, it, it was kind of it was kind of a disappointment. Wow. Well, I I'm sorry to hear it. It's interesting that at least there were a couple of pages of Uncanny Avengers that were batshit, which is potentially good, I think. Um, and it's interesting that you're still kind of hip on. Um, did you did you give up on Fractions Iron Man, by the way, or are you still sort of? Have you been kind of? In trades from the library. Mm, I see. Close up, but yeah, it's um, the interview that I linked to it, blog at really made me go. Oh, yeah, I I really want to read the last chapter. Mm, yeah. Oh, I really want to see where it goes. Um, I I think it's going to be something that when you can look back on the entire run. Mm-hmm. Like it started great, and then it kind of lost its way a bit. But then he kind of remembered what he was doing, right? Right. Exactly. There definitely is a portion in there where you're like, oh, "What has happened?" <laughs> <laughs> but I remember the last collection I read, which God, I, I can remember what happened, and I can't remember the name of it. Um, was was an improvement. Mm-hmm. It is one of those things where he's like, "I'm kind of playing for time." Okay, I'm decided I'm going to finish it. Uh, I see. Right. Like, the word has come on from down high. I've got to wrap this up by blank, so. Yeah, so the last one I read was, I think it was the last one that came out. No, it couldn't have been. The last one I read was Demon, mm. which is volume nine. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, overall, I mean, overall, it's it's been a good comic. I think it's definitely Fraction's best work at Marvel. True, but, mm. Yeah, no, exactly. Is that saying a lot? But yeah, no, I, I, I think it was. It's an, it, it's a really interesting one. I, th- I'm just looking like, wait, he did Iron Fist, which I really loved. Yeah, he, he did Iron Fist. Uh, well, he co-did Iron Fist, and of course, I ended up having weirdly enough some problems with it. But that's only because I was a screamingly huge Iron Fist fan. So. Uh, I think I wrote a review on it back in the day, but, um, but yeah, no, but that was good. And it was kind of like, oh yeah, he's starting out. And, uh, of course a lot of people really loved, uh, the order, which was going to be the new champions. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Um, Ironic yeah. being the new champions. So that, that's something that's in the, um, Marvel comics, the untold story book. Did you know the champions book, the original one was originally mm-hmm. a buddy book that was just angel and Iceman traveling around America. No, I had no idea. Oh, my God. That was the original plan. And then whoever was editor chief, I think it was Len Wein, was like, mm-hmm. no, it has to be five people. It has to be five characters, and one of them has to be female. Wow. I have to have their own title. 
But wow. it was going to be Angel and Iceman as the only two X-Men who weren't doing anything. Mm-hmm. America. Hmm. Which would have been a great book. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm always like, I remember being always weirded out by it in uh, Champions. Not, not so much at the time because I hadn't really read a lot of X-Men. But once I started reading more reprints, I was always like, you know, because there's such a, um, you know, the Iceman Beast friendship is such a, the glue, I think, that holds together those early pre, I don't know, pre Claremont X-Men days. You know what I mean? So the idea that suddenly it's like the, you know, Angel and Iceman hanging out and they're like, hey, buddy, how you doing, chum? No, great. You know, like afterwards I was always kind of like, what? How did this happen? You know, beast. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I know the beast was successful on his own, so okay, Steve, fine. But Steve Englehart also says that um, his solo beast series, which is now finally available in collection, um, the part that he couldn't show on ca- on panel mm-hmm. was was also when the beast started smoking weed. Really? <laughs> he's like this. He's, he basically tries to say, like this is when he. He says something like he becomes cooler, becomes mellow. And he actually says, like, and the part I couldn't show on panel. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. That's such a great character development for Hank McCoy that makes so much sense. You know? <laughs> like, oh, then it all makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really, really funny. That's hilarious hilarious wow that's great okay well so we can't well i don't know we're running uh you know it's about 4 15 now i may actually want to cut this one short er um but so part of me is like yeah okay 15 minutes of you know marvel comics and told story anecdotes go but but no there must be some other stuff you want to talk about Graham, yes i'm gonna blow your mind with yeah you know, I read because I got sent to me and found my liking and was really surprised by. Wow. That's clue. It's not Superman Earth One Book Two, which I did get sent. I did read, but I would not say I really liked. Holy shit. Careful. You might be under embargo on that one, right? Yeah. That's why that's all I'm going to say about that one. Okay, great. Uh, so tell me about the book that you did kind of enjoy. Dr. Manhattan Issue Two. What? Oh my god, I'm glad I was sitting down for this. What are you what are you saying? <laughs> so Dr. Manhattan issue two basically says this. Mm-hmm. Dr. Manhattan issue one, the thing that I didn't get, because I'm not a massive Watchman fan and wasn't really paying attention, because I was like, this is a pretty book, but not something I'm really interested in, is when Dr. Manhattan goes back to witness his origin, mm-hmm. he changes time. And Dr. Mm-hmm. Manhattan is not created. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dr. Manhattan then decides well, if I did that, maybe I can change time again. It becomes this weird thing where he is given a choice, or rather the non-Dr. Manhattan John mm-hmm. a choice at one point in his history, between choosing a left door or a right door. Mm-hmm. For the next, I want to say it's like eight pages or something, mm-hmm. comic splits in two. So the left page shows you what happens if he chosen the left door, and the right page shows what happens if he chosen the right door. More or less identical until it's not. So so Mm -hmm. it's four pages. And then things split again. So Mm -hmm. everyone keeps 
breaking down into like you know more alternate universes, alternate universes, alternate universes, including a really weird explanation of Schrodinger's cat. Hmm. Um, and it ends with the world where Doctor Manhattan was not created being destroyed because this Cuban Missile Crisis ends in nuclear war. Hmm. And that's the end of the comic. Hmm. <laughs> it's kind of awesome. <laughs> well, I have no idea where he's going. It's funny. Rich Johnson was like, obviously they're heading for a reset button. And I was like, well, of course, it's before Watchmen. Like, right. Here's his leading up to Watchmen. It's quite clearly not going to be like, all of that didn't happen, everyone. <laughs> Like, I, I now have no idea where he's going with this comic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I am like, I, I don't even know the point. Like, is it all going to continually be what-ifs? Mm-hmm. And what-ifs, like, what's the point of the what-if, I guess? I don't know. Well, I, I, I ended up being much more interested and much more in, uh, entertained by the comic than I expected. And... um. It's Adam Hughes and I think Laura, yeah, Laura Martin does colors again. And it just, it looks lovely. It must look, yeah, fantastic. And it's also really nice seeing Adam Hughes doing inks as opposed to doing his, like, I'm on a computer and I'm making everything look, look very computer colored. So mm. you do like, like weird cross-hatching and noses and stuff. And it's just, I don't know, there's things like that that are really nice that you don't see him do enough of. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Um, well... That is uh, that's fascinating news. I have to say, after uh, after last week's discussion, after reading, you know, uh, the delightful Miguel Cortez Watchmen issue thirteen, part of me is like, yeah, bring on the before Watchmen. Like, I'm ready for some more deconstruction of that. And then I'm like, uh, yeah, no. I'm not. Are you ready for J. Michael Straczynski's deconstruction of it? That's no. Good. See, that's why I thought Watchmen thirteen was great, but uh, you know, there's no JMS in there at all, of course. So I don't know. I just because like, I was really left cold by the first issue, and then the second issue, I was like, huh, I actually kind of like that. And I, it's one of those things. I wasn't even going to read it. Do you know what I mean? It was, mm-hmm. oh, but it's there. Right. I've got five minutes. And in the end, I was like, fuck, I, I kind of liked it. And then I was like, I'm going to read the comedian issues that they also send me. No. <laughs> send me. Maybe I'll like that. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, it's still Far Cry there. That um, that Brian Azzarello thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, before Watchmen. Interesting. I wonder... Oh no, I didn't I wasn't really paying attention. Did the are they included I guess the DC sales um numbers evaluation analysis isn't up at the beat yet, is it? Uh not for actually maybe. Let me check. Cuz I I know that cuz the Marvel stuff went up recently. Um and uh Frisch is usually a little behind um Paul in that regard. Uh, looking for sales charts. Bum, bum, bum. Because I'd be, I would be kind of curious to see what those what those issues are doing now that the second second issues are rolling out and where those sales are going to end up. I wonder. Hang on, I can probably do this not by looking for the beats, but just by looking for September sales. Because mm. I know that those numbers are at. Right. Yeah, that'd probably be better. For some reason, I always look at those and I'm always like, huh? I don't, what? Um, mm-hmm. Let's see, September. 
I know zero month books really pushed them down. Yeah, so they are now the first one is comedian that's at number twenty in the charts. Hmm. But that's that could be because zero month books really pushed it down. Yeah, I was about to say that's actually Still, far better than I was expecting in a way. Spectre's at twenty three. Mm-hmm. Twenty five. Ozabandis is at twenty eight. Hmm. So that's pretty good. Yeah, we'll see. It'd be it'd be interesting to see if they'll go back up once zero zero month has passed uh, or not. Wow, that zero month thing appeared to be another one of those. I have to say, Dan DiDio seems to know how to goose the direct market in in at least in the short term. I'm really surprised. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's weird the books that really were like, huh? Like Earth Two Issue Zero was in the top ten. Yeah. You know, like of all the books. Well, that wouldn't necessarily surprise me because I think a lot of people were like, that's a book that, that had built up some heat. And I think there there might be, I, I think a lot of people were looking at these issue zeros as potential jumping on points. Um, and I, I think they ordered accordingly for that. So it it seems to me to be a, a sort of a, in that sense, kind of like a book where you get more people, you know that you can hand sell it to people if you're a retailer in a way. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's before Watchmen does not seem to be not doing badly, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still a little early on considering how big the project is, but that's issue three of four for three of those books. Oh, was it? Oh, that's actually much better than I thought. I'm sorry. For some reason, I was like, yeah, it's going on for like eight months or something, isn't it? Like, so, huh. It's just that, like, it's still going to be happening in December. But it's wow. time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's issue three of three books. Wow. So that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. That is that is not bad. <laughs> they, they, just like the Phantom Stranger, they turned a nice little investment on their, uh, on their silver. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> that would be great. It's like, no, no, no. The Phantom Stranger was Dan DiDio betrayed Alan Moore by doing the Before Watchmen project. It's an auto-bio comic. <laughs> People have been misunderstanding it the whole time. Um, uh, yeah, Before Watchmen, uh, Dr. Manhattan. Uh, surprisingly, not terrible. Hmm. Well, there you have it, true believers. <laughs> yeah. Who knew that would be the case? Who knew we would be having warm and fuzzy feelings towards J. Michael Straczynski, especially after Superman Earth 1 Volume 2. Oh, really? Oh, so you read that one right after the other one and was like, oh. I read oh, interesting. it through like maybe that night or something. Uh-huh. Maybe that night. Mm. I was like, ah, oh, maybe he's, you know, maybe this is going to be more of the same or not. <laughs> but this way, if you liked Earth 1 Volume 1, You'll probably be perfectly happy with Earth One Volume Two. Oh boy! Uh, so when can you officially talk about it? I actually don't know. I should look and see when it's out. Mm. Well, isn't it? Can't you consider it fair game unless they tell you otherwise? Yeah, but I, I have not, I, I have disposed of the letter of the cape. Oh, I see. You're like, sure. If they told me, who knows? Hang on. It hits stores October thirty first. So probably next podcast I can talk about it. Okay, that sounds fabulous. That sounds great. Uh, well, so I'll be honest. It's 422. I'm goddamn brain dead, and I'll probably need to eat soon, or I'll fall over. So perhaps we can um, oh. throw a flag on the field and wrap it up. Do you want to <laughs> sing us out? 
Well, first of all, Jeff, I'm going to say that I'm very sorry that you haven't played Sean going, hey, this week. Oh, shit, you're right. Well, I was going to, you know, it was so great. They actually included that on, um, <laughs> on the, the, the Travis Bickle one. Yeah, Travis Bickle on the Riviera, which uh, for people who have no idea what I'm talking about, Sean Witzke and Tucker Stone are doing a podcast that is just the two of them talking about movies. It is awesome. It's like I listened to the first couple of minutes of it uh, because people told me that I would heavily, greatly enjoy the... Hey! There we go. <laughs> I'll edit out the little pause there, so it's just going to seem much more fluid and... Hey! So, um... Hey, it is a live hey, which is great. What's that? It is a live hey on that podcast. Yeah, which is amazing. I just don't know how he can do that, because then he's talking in his regular Sean Witzke voice, and I'm like, is that the same guy? Like, I just... I'm great if he's actually got someone. That would be great. Like, he's like, yeah, I don't mind it being my catchphrase. I just call in my roommate from the next room. <laughs> and he's like, hey. Um, you know, Graham, someday we'll have our own catchphrases for our own podcast rather than... <laughs> <laughs> it's so much better to, to, to outsource it. <laughs> oh, my. Listeners. Bye. Oh my God, Graham, you really went for it. That's great. Perfect. <laughs> That's for you, Jeff. Ah, your dulcet tones. It always works every time. <laughs>